Turn in your Bibles, if you would, please, to Leviticus chapter 20. Leviticus chapter 20. You know, um, 18 through 20 deals with the Ten Commandments, not in order, but... um, but still, there's a lot of the Ten Commandments there and even other, um, uh, the laws of God that's not mentioned in the Ten Commandments. But um, it just seems like chapter 18 was addressed to the perpetrator and chapter 20 or chapter 20 is dealing with the congregation and, and how um, to handle the commands of God, um, when we next week we'll be kind of taking a slight turn, and we'll be talking more about the priests and and such, you know. And uh, you know, I don't know why I do this. I don't know if it's just me or if it's the enemy or whatever. But you look, you think of the book of Leviticus, and right away you're going, "Oh, we're going to have to labor through that." How many of you guys have just been blessed by this book? Would you raise your hand? Um, and how, has, it, has it touched your heart? Has it really kind of led you closer to the Lord? In fact, I was talking with Erms last night, or maybe it was this morning, and just started to think how many people I prayed with since we started this book, and how many people have decided to commit their lives to Christ, and how many Christians have decided, you know what, there is a way, and, and we're going to read about it, a, 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 a highway of, of holiness. And a lot of Christians today want to live on it. And they want to walk on it. And they know that in these days that we live, uh, that living the life that God has called us is the way we let our light shine. So if it's just me, I don't know why, I I always sometimes think of Leviticus. Here we go. All the sacrifices, all this, all that. And then, um, but then, um, could could it be that the enemy wants to sow that in our heads? Stay away from Leviticus. And stay away from the book of Hebrews. Don't touch those two books. You know, I always lose a few. <laughs> you know, and so we're going to take many today. But but my a buddy of mine um, handed this to me this morning. And um, it's perfect timing. There's always perfect. But anyway, it's from a sermon that Charles Finney had um, preached. Uh, actually, December 4th, 1873. Uh, and it's called uh, A Decay of Conscience. And this is what he says. It's just a quote. Brethren, if our preaching will, um, if our, sorry, if our preaching will bear its legitimate fruits, if our, or no, if immorality prevails in the land, if faults, the fault is ours in a great degree, a degree if there is a decay of conscience, the pulpit is responsible for it. If if the public press lacks moral discrimination, the pulpit is responsible for it. If the church is degenerate and worldly, the pulpit is responsible for it. If the world loses its interest in religion, the pulpit is responsible for it. And I read that and I thank God, thank you for that desire that you have placed in a lot of pastors' hearts to just continue to go through the Bible and teach it from Genesis to Revelation. And the parts where we think are going to be drudgery turn out to be the biggest blessings. Amen? And so, 
again, I know I fumbled through that, brethren, if our preaching will bear its legitimate fruits, if immorality prevails in the land, the fault is ours in a great degree. If there is a decay of conscience, the pulpit is responsible. If the public press lacks moral discrimination, does that not apply today? The pulpit is responsible for it. If the church is degenerate and worldly, the pulpit is responsible for it. If the world loses interest, and Finney's talking about not religion, but a relationship with the living God, and they lose interest in that, the pulpit is responsible for it. Wow. So with that said, Leviticus chapter 20. Uh, you know, the best way um, to do this in this chapter is um, to take those things um, as we read them. But there will be a large section that I will just just briefly mention and move right by it. And you'll understand why when we get there. The Ten Commandments, you know. Uh, we're going to be talking about, again, capital punishment, um, when you write a list of those things that God said you are to put a man or a woman to death by, it's murder, sexual immorality, kidnapping, child sacrifice, witchcraft, witchcraft, false prophets, astrology, magic, and idolatry. Um, guys, let me say this. I don't think God wants us as his um, sons or daughters to get in a forum where there is um, public... A debate over um, capital punishment. I don't see any fruit coming from that. I think the only time we will defend a position is when we defend the Bible. Um, and there is a big difference. You know, they, capital punishment has existed both righteously and unrighteously. Uh, you look at the cultures, the ancient cultures, there was always a form of capital punishment in every culture. Um, the difference between God and, say, the world is uh, one is judicial, where he says this is the way you're to rule the land. The other just um, barbaric, you know, over the slightest of hand, just takes somebody out. And, and so um, it is a, a biblical principle. It is in the Bible, but I don't think for us to debate um, to get and try to turn the world to our side Again, it's just, it's sad that we even have to think about it, is it not? And, um, but it was never considered murder in the Bible, capital punishment. And I wrote this, it was righteously administered judicial execution. It was something that God said, this is how you are to govern yourself. It wasn't for religious purposes. It wasn't for... Um, even moral reasons, it was a way for man to govern society. Um, so let's, with that being said, because we're going to be looking at it very shortly, verse 1, the Lord spake to Moses, saying, Again, thou shalt say to the children of Israel, Whosoever he be of the children of Israel or of the stranger that sojourns in Israel, that giveth any of his seed unto Molech, he shall surely be put to death. And the people of the land shall be stoned. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. And notice verse 3. I will set my face against that man. I will cut 
him off from among his people because he has given of his seed his children unto Molech to defile my sanctuary and to profane um, my holy name. And if the people of the land do any ways hide their eyes from the man when he giveth his seed to, unto Molech and kill him not, I will set my face against that man and against his family. I will cut him off and all that go a whoring after him to commit whoredom with Molech from among their people. Now, let me paraphrase that. It's just um, five verses there. But basically what he's saying here is those who worship that Ammonite God, the worship of Molech, God says, I will turn my face against him. He is committing, uh, old king, the uh, whoredom, uh, he is committing spiritual prostitution. This is, this is selling yourself over, giving yourself over. Um, now, last week, we also looked at the warning where he says, Moses, tell the children of Israel, I have taken them out of the land of Egypt, not to look back. They had this tendency for some reason, and we can follow it all the way up to the time of Solomon, that they would go back and start worshiping the ancient gods of Egypt, looking ahead, worshiping gods of of the Canaanites, including this wicked and perverse worship of Molech. Now, I went into great, great detail about that last week, I believe. And that is where they had this four foot statue a pot belly kind of a thing where they could ignite a fire inside of it. It was all hallowed out. And um, the hotter the statue would get, more incandescent the arms would become. And then they would lay their infants on that, that, that red-hot idol of Molech. And then they would allow their children to die due to the severe burns and um, worshiping of Molech. Now... Again, this wasn't something that was just practiced by the Ammonites or the Canaanites. In fact, we have, even archaeologists have discovered in the area of a place called Carthage, northern Africa, where just recently they have unearthed, um, I don't know, um, tons of bones of, of infants ranging from the age of four to um, infant age, where they were also practicing the worship of Molech, they called it a different god, but it was the same practice of destroying um, infants to, to worship and to offer up to their, to their gods. Now, why? Well, they had this mentality that if they would wor- uh, offer up their go- um, to their gods, these infants, that they would get wealth and prosperity and pleasure and they would get rid of, now listen to the word, something that's inconvenient. Now, you're saying, well, thank God our country doesn't do that. Well, let me tell you something, folks. After reading this verse that God will turn his face from ones who just want to totally ignore this idea of sacrificing infants due to it being an inconvenience, it's almost equivalent for Christians who want to ignore the issue of abortion. In fact, some of the things that I've read just recently disturbs my heart so greatly because not only are the church, is the church closing their eyes to it, ignoring the issue, there are now churches that are saying that it's perfectly acceptable. Stem cell research and all that. Now, again, 
I'm, you're not ever going to find Pastor Hire marching in a protest line or marching around a clinic. That's not how we bring in social obedience. Social disobedience never, it has never since the, since the creation of humanity ever brought about godly obedience. You know what brought in godly obedience? Listen to me, kids. A revival. What we need to see today is, we don't need to see picket lines and protest signs. What we need to see today is an outpouring of His Holy Spirit. And that, that every time we look at someone, they'll see the countenance and the light of Christ in our hearts. That we would be a light, we would be salt, but we would continue to just teach and preach the gospel. How beautiful are the feet of those who do what? They bring the good, good news, which is the gospel. And Paul the apostle said, this is the power unto salvation. But then we're not to close a blind eye to it. We're not, we're not to act like this doesn't exist. I believe the reason too, and I have to agree with Mr. Finney here. The reason we see so much immorality today within our, within our youth and within, in the church is because the pulpit has become weak. And it has stopped preaching the truth. Folks, sin is sin. Christ died for all the sins of humanity, past, present, and future. Christ has sent his son to take on our sin to be our judgment so that we can live a life that's an example to, for all the world to see. Are you with me today? And that's what, that's what we're talking about here. The idea that he sets himself against them, he cuts them off, happens to all who commit spiritual prostitution. And again, prostitution, spiritual prostitution, this word hornum literally means you've just sold yourself out. You believed a lie. Listen, well, Harry, how do I know what's holy and what isn't? I'm a brand new Christian. You know, I get that. Man, when I became a believer, I, listen, I thought kumbaya was a hymn. And I had to learn. And I had to grow. I had a brother who challenged me about drinking a six-pack before I'd go out and hand out tracks. He would say, brother, you're drinking? I'd go, yeah. And we're handing out tracks. We're feeling great. He goes, I want you to go upstairs and pray about that. My brother was so graceful with me and just taught me and showed me that, hey, that we don't do that anymore, brother. We're different. We love the unlovable. We show grace to those that want to do us harm. We don't smoke dope anymore and we don't shoot anymore. And we don't get drunk anymore. And we let Jesus' light shine through us. But yet, I'm saying this for the young Christian today. What I might have just said, might be, you're, you're steaming right now. You're, you're madder than a hornet. You know, and you're waiting for me to get in the back. Well, I'm not going to go there. No. You see, but the only reason you feel that way is because the world has indoctrinated us. The world has desensitized the church. When I hear the church saying, hey, all roads lead to God. What a lie. When there's only one way. There's only one truth. It's the name. What a wonderful name it is. What a wonderful name it is. All right. King Solomon, as I said, embraced it so much that he even created 
idols to Molech. But he was the one also said, if it bothers you so bad, then worship the drum. There was another way of worshiping. They would beat the drum to, to kind of drown out the sounds of the infant cry. I read something that I thought was pretty disturbing. Well, it was disturbing that the bald eagle, which, listen, I'm all for that bird can have as many nests as he wants. He should have rights, I guess, if we got to protect endangered species and stuff like that. And the spotted owl, I don't think I've ever seen a spotted owl, so I wouldn't know if I killed it or not. Now, I think we should be conscious of that and think about endangered things. But what about the human race? What about the human race? What about spiritual life? That's so endangered. What about our youth? It's being sold into spiritual prostitution at a record rate. Verse 6 says, The soul that turneth after such as has familiar spirits and after the wizards to go a-whoring. There's that term again. I will even set my face against that soul and cut him off from among his people. Those that they're, they're putting their trust in mediums. They're consulting the, the, the spiritual world. They're consulting spirits. Trying to find out whether mom made it to the other side or not. It's not just an Old Testament thing. It's, it's also a New Testament thing. We're to stay away from anything that deals with the occult, Christian. Don't, don't start telling me your sign. I don't want to know your sign. My sign is the cross. My sign is the cross. That's what predicts my future. Look what he says in verse 7. Sanctify yourselves, therefore be holy, for I am the Lord your God. You know, he's just saying... Listen, you're not to be that way. You're not, don't go whoring after that. You're to be set apart. Well, Christian, we're to be set apart. We're going to talk about that in closure uh, the, with this message. That we are to be different than, than the world. You shall keep my statutes. You should do them. I am the Lord which sanctifies you. The word holy, by the way, is the word godash, G-O-D-E-S-H, godash. Now, I know it's used in a lot of different ways, and um, it's used when we talk about something that's hallowed. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed. How holy is your name? It's used also in the life that's consecrated. If you have decided to consecrate your life to Jesus, then God said that's a holy life. The moment you said, or in your heart, I want Jesus as my Lord and Savior, well, then God imputes holiness into your, into your life. That's what the scriptures teach. So the question is this. Do you sanctify yourself, or does the Lord sanctify you? What do you think the answer is? Both. Somebody answered, both. And that's correct. Guys, remember when I taught about righteousness, how I said there was an imputed righteousness, but there's also a practical righteousness. Both are taught in the scripture. 
Same thing with holiness. When it comes to a life that's been consecrated or hallowed or something even dedicated. If you're dedicated to Jesus, Jesus sees you as holy. But then on the practical side, there is a, a holiness that God says we're to walk in. And that we're to abide in. You know, one of the signs um, of those who will not inherit the kingdom of God is mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And there's a whole menu there, so I won't, bore, I'm not bored, you wouldn't be bored, but I don't want to take up too much of my time. But where he says, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall enter into the kingdom of God. Then he addresses the church in Corinth and he says this. And such were some of you, but now you're washed, but you are sanctified. It's that imputed holiness, sanctification, that God puts within that person's life when he says, you know what, I am dedicated, I am giving myself up as a burnt offering. Remember the five offerings in the beginning. Here I am, I'm consecrated to you. God, through his Holy Spirit, look at me, kids, God, through his Holy Spirit, imputes that into your heart. You become now a spiritual being unto him. That's why now you're aware of holiness. That's when even when you were a babe in Christ, you did something wrong. You just went, I don't get it, man, but there is something that's just not settling right with me. And then as you read the scriptures and uh, oh my goodness, that's what it was. I wasn't living on that road of holiness with the Lord. I, wasn't, I didn't see it, but now I know it. And now you begin the practical side of holiness where you begin to walk in it. Positionally, it's a sanctification through the blood. Positionally, that's where we start. Practically, it's where we start to see all the crud and all the junk in our lives. And by God's grace, His power through His Holy Spirit... We were able just to kind of let go of it. Back in the day, in the 1800s, during some of the revivals, John Wesley used to teach that you could obtain sinless perfection. In fact, they came up with a method, and this is a methodology. This is where we get the term, I am a Methodist. I'm following a method, you know. And he was corrected by a George Winfield years and years later when Winfield started talking regeneration by the blood of Christ. There's no way. And some believe that after he met Whitfield, the great Wesley brothers is when they became born again. Here they were evangelists, religious characters within that society and yet without Christ. You wonder how many people behind the pulpit need to be taught you've got to be born again. And just because you're wearing a clerical robe doesn't necessarily mean you're teaching the truth. And the Wesley brothers became an advocate of God's grace. For you are saved by grace through faith that not of yourselves. Man, that, that was their home run hit. It tells us in Philippians 2 verse 12 and... I'll read it to you. Wherefore, my brethren, 
as you have always obeyed, not just in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. And this is what Paul taught, taught the church there in Philippi. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, here's the million-dollar question. When is the last time in prayer, in Bible reading, and study, where we started to think, I need to work on this? You know, I serve a holy and a righteous God. You know, I, right when I think of that, I think of what, how Paul was admonishing the church in Rome. In chapter 6 of Romans, he goes, Therefore, what sh- uh, shall we continue in sin that God's grace may abound? He uses a word. Uh, my old king says, uh, God forbid, uh, your translation says, get rid of that thought. It literally means die to that thought. Perish that thought. How can we, Paul goes on to say, and those that have been baptized into Christ continue to live the life and walk on that highway of unholiness. He almost says there, without coming out to say it, it's an oxymoron. You can't say I've been baptized into Christ and still walk a life of perversion and unholiness. He goes, they don't mix. And that, I'll tell you, you show me a frustrated Christian. And I'll show you one who don't understand the hallway, hallway or the, uh, the highway of holiness. Yeah, I'll show that person to you. Show me a, a Christian that's happy and full of joy and one that's always saying, I'm resting in Christ and what he's done. I'm trusting in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to walk this life. I am a light. I am salt. I'm a preservative. I'll show you someone who understands imputed righteousness and practical righteousness. And they experience the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. I feel so weak. You don't have his joy. Well, how do I get his joy? Learn the word and walk in it. Amen? This is what Peter says as far as practical righteousness. And I'm just going to give you um, the address, but I want to paraphrase it for time's sake. Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, I believe. This is what he says. If you want to enjoy a life, I'm par- this is Harry's paraphrase, and you want to see many joyful and happy days, then keep your tongue from speaking evil. Keep your lips from telling lies, gossiping and slander. He goes, turn away from evil. Turn away from it. And is that not a good definition of repentance? Turn away from it. Turn away from it and do good. And this is what you're to do. Search for peace and work. Listen, now listen. And work to maintain it. Well, wait a minute. You got to work. How many of us, we have that need to be constantly reminded of the word and the ways God wants us to live. I'm always being right. Paul would say this. I'm putting you in mind of this even though you know it already. Paul would repeat himself at every church over and over and over. Why? Because we have the tendency to forget, I guess. Or to rebel. And so he tells us again and again. This is what he says. This is the reason why Peter says to live a life uh, uh, and of holiness and not to speak evil. This is why. He, is, but he says, for the eyes of the Lord watch is over those who do right. Here you are. You've learned the word. You're on that highway of holiness. You're, you're letting your light shine. And God notices it. 
God notices when we're living in that, that life of holiness. He goes on to says, his face, I'm going to say, he watches over those who do right. His ears are open to their prayer. Now again, First Peter chapter 3, get a chance. When you get a chance, read that chapter. You know, do you ever have this sense like, man, God, I've been praying, I've been praying, I've been praying. And your, your attention is being drawn more and more to God. Go, what is up? And then suddenly he opens this, this door or this window and you realize, oh, wow. This, this is why it doesn't seem that God's listening. He's listening. But boy, does he have a way of getting a hold of our t- attention. So listen, guys, I got to be real with you. If you're still smoking dope, if you're still in sexual sin, you know, you know Christ, you, you, you believe you're saved, you're trusting, but you're living, you know, and but some, for some reason, you feel lonely, you feel like your, 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 your prayers are just hitting the roof, they're not going any further. Examine your life. Check it out. Let the Holy Spirit just, maybe he wants to reveal something. And it could be the smallest, minute, little tiny thing. And usually the older the Christian is, the smaller it seems the issue is. You know, when I was a baby Christian, right? Don't kill him, Harry. That, that was, thou shall not murder. Now, walking with the Lord, this is what causes maybe harm to my prayer life. You know, Harry, you've got to love her unconditionally. Or, Harry, you've got to let your light shine here. The anger, Harry, you've got to find out what's triggering it. You know what I mean, gang? Look at verse 9. For everyone that curses his father and his mother shall be surely put to death. He hath cursed his father, he's cursed his mother. His blood shall be upon him. Now, guys, I'm going to briefly go through this quickly, but I don't think he's talking about just that teenager that's giving you lip. I don't think he's talking about recognizing the sinful nature in those terrible two kids when they become demonic, you know. That's not what he's talking about. Because every place that I've examined this text about disobedience to parents, it either has something to do with the end days or it has something to do with the occult. It's amazing that kids that get caught up, say say a child in the ancient days gets caught up worshiping Molech. But the parents want to be Hebrews. They want to be Israelites. And there's this clashing And this guy now is threatening mom and dad. The law says, take that child, stone him. It's not just talking about dealing with a sinful teenager. Okay, guys? So don't bring your kids here thinking I'm going to stone them. I'm just trying to make this maybe a little light because um, we all deal with prodigal teens, don't we? We all deal with hurts. And sometimes we just wonder where these... Did this come out of your mother's womb? You know, what is with you, you know? I tell you, don't touch it, you touch it. I tell you, don't say that, you say it. And that just shows us their need for Christ. But it always seems to deal with the cult. In fact, there was a, um, a article that I read. Now, this goes back to the 80s, so it's not um, 
a recent thing, but it said a high-profile case in the 80s discovered that uh, that, ch- that children that are ex- exploring the occult, um, they said something like 60 or 70 percent of them, those teens actually end up hurting or murdering their parents. And I thought, oh my goodness, my goodness. You know, guys, this is why it goes all the way back to when they're babies. Train up that child. Train them up. You're not going to do it when they're teens. This is, stop. You start to put the word of God in their little hearts when they're babies. You know? I love having the little ones, you know, sitting, reading the book with me or something where I can just whisper to them, you know, God loves you. Jesus died for you. You know? Get it in their brain. Um... There's something else I wanted to. Oh, you know, when we studied about um, children respecting their elders, we taught on that last week. You know, that whole issue, people, we made a lot of that. We had a lot of, but goodness gracious, that is so important that you teach your children to be, be respectful. That we all do, whether you're a grandparent. Instill that into their hearts. You know, to teach the, teach your young ones to open a car door. Goodness gracious, what's wrong with that? You know, teach them what it means that if a grandparent walks in to rise, stand. Oh, you are so old-fashioned. No, I'm biblical. You don't teach them to re- respect their elders at that age. They will not do it when they're teenagers. They wouldn't. If my dad was present in the room and my grandfather walked into that room, Denny and I better had stand or have stood. Because that was not a good time. And I don't think we should. Never mind. But you get the point, right? If you get the point, raise your hand. Get me out of this. Thank you. Yeah, no, you know, me, that's why there's Dr. Dobson and there's all these guys that know how to come across a little better than I do. Chapters, okay, verse 10 through 21, we're skipping. <laughs> we did this already, honestly. It was about uncovering the nakedness of this person, uncovering the nakedness of that person. And if you're thinking right now, boy, I would really like you to go through it. Well, get the tape. Get, the, get that, that teaching. We just know that in the Egypt culture and also in the Canaanite culture, incest was practiced, bestiality was practiced, lesbianism, um, homosexuality, and God says that that is not to be a part of their lifestyle. God says it. God says it. And when people sit down and just start arguing over all the dangers, how about this? God says it. God just says, no, not for you. If you're going to be my son or my daughter, you are to just get away from this lifestyle. I don't care what your family used to practice. I don't care what this society is saying. And thank God we've kind of turned a little corner right now with this present administration. And I'm not political, but my goodness, if we kept going in that other direction, guess what? Your, your pastor could be in prison right now because I would not be allowed to teach this. I would have a brand new prison ministry. Sorry to get a little excited, but how about God says it? Well, what do you mean there's only one way truth in life? Nobody gets God says it. Learn it and allow the Holy Spirit to impute that truth to you. 
Man, it's something when it comes from me, but it's totally a different thing when God speaks it to your heart. Amen? So we just went through 10 verses there. Verse 22. We're going to end with this. He says, You shall therefore keep my statues. That's equivalent, we could say, keep my word, keep the Bible, in all my judgments, do them. You know that word do them in the Hebrew literally means? I won't give you the verbiage and all because it's kind of boring. You know what it means? Listen, kids, I need your eyes. You know what it means? Practice it. Practice it. Get better at it. Keep it in prayer. Keep it before the Lord. God, I don't want to do this. Paul the Apostle said, those things I want to do, I don't do. Those things I don't want to do, I end up doing. But keep at it. There's a holiness and a righteousness that are imputed to us because of the cross. But then there's that other side of us where God says, take the dare. Take the challenge. Walk like I walked. You shall not walk in the manner of the nation which I cast out before you, Canaanites. For they committed all these things, wherefore I abhor them. I have said unto you, you, will, you shall inherit the land. I will give it unto you to possess it, a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God, which have separated you from other people. And that's that imputed righteousness and holiness. Paul says it's been elected for us. And then Paul would say on the other side of the coin, and now I called you into it. We've been elected and then called into it. And because... Of the time, I'm not going to probably be able to get too deeply into that. Look at verse 25. You shall therefore put difference between clean beast and unclean, between unclean fowls and clean. You shall not make your soul souls abominable by beast or fowl, by the any manner of living things that creepeth on the ground. I have separated you as unclean. You shall be holy unto me. For I am... Holy, have severed you from, uh, from other people that you should be mine. Remember how many times did he say, for I am the Lord your God. We belong to him. A man or a woman that has familiar spirits of a, or that of a wizard shall surely be put to death. They shall stone them with stones. Their blood shall be put upon them. And again, we're not going to get back into capital punishment and all this. But people sometimes wonder, why? Why don't I experience this? Why is my life always in turmoil? Why does it just seem like I'm upside down in this, this, this life we call Christianity? Well, sometimes it's just because we're not living the life God has called us to live. We're either in ignorance, and I get that. How many of you guys get that? We just don't know enough of the Bible, Right? But on the other side, and if I'm speaking to you, dear saint, you need to think about that. Because it's called rebellion. It's called selling yourself to another idea. It's called whoredom. It's called spiritual prostitution. I don't know. Is it something that we really need to think about? Leviticus 20 here, in chapter 20 here, 7, where he says, sanctify yourself. He says, set apart, set us yourself apart. But Ephesians says this, for you once were in darkness, BC days. You once were that way. But now you are children in the Lord. 
But now you are children in the Lord. Now that would be fine if he just stopped there. But he doesn't. There in Ephesians chapter 5, he continues and said, So live as children of the light. Live like it. It, it, it's almost like we can say it's a, a New Testament command. Christ desired this lifestyle for us. Now that should motivate our hearts. Christ wants us to live a life that's holy and pleasing and it should be so different that the world is looking at us thinking You're, they're right, they're peculiar people. They are a holy nation. Remember Jesus' final prayer. Not on the cross, that's his final prayer, but John chapter 17, where he's just looking up into heaven. And he says, Father, sanctify them. Sanctify them. Make them hallowed. Make them holy. And do it by your word. Your word is truth. Make them holy. There is no way any of us are going to live this lifestyle apart from scriptures. There's no way. You know, I, I watched a movie about this monk who wanted to just become more holy. He tried the whole cathedral step thing and beating himself where he would whip his back open, thinking he was just beaten and buffeting the flesh. Then that wasn't working. So he thought, I'm going to go off to a monastery and live there, you know, this hermit's lifestyle. I'll become holy. That You know his conclusion is? It doesn't matter how bad you beat yourself or how, how isolated you want to try to make yourself get away from the world. The only way to be holy is only through the grace of God. But he came home, not as a victorious believer, but very defeated, gave up the priesthood. Because he said, no way can a man or a woman ever be holy. Well, he is so wrong. We can be holy because of faith. And what Jesus did on the cross, holiness and righteousness is imputed unto us. Justification, another fancy word, meaning just as if I have never sinned, Because of the cross. So here we are. We open our hearts to him. He comes in. He floods our soul with his spirit. We know our lives are different. And then he says, now the other side of the coin is this. Live as I have lived. Remember Jesus when he said, you have heard it said of old, thou shalt not murder. But I say unto thee, even if you look angry at your brother, you've committed Murder in your heart. Thou has heard it said of old, Thou shall not lust or commit adultery. But I say unto you, He lays out this in in Matthew chapter 5 and 6. And at the very end, He says, So therefore be holy, for I am holy. Even Christ challenges us. But when you look at that whole menu, you realize, My goodness, how do I control my thoughts? How do I control my anger? How do, you, you can apart from the scriptures or apart from the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Are you with me, Christian? So listen, stand with me, Rich. Listen, remember what I said earlier? When you're a brand new babe in the Lord, those issues might... Just don't murder anybody today. You'll be doing good, Harry. Huh? And now he's just dealing with these little issues of my heart. The consequence is the same. He still looks for the person who is living righteously and his ear is extended to hear their cry. So if we're just saying in rebellion, I'm not going to do it. I'm just glad I have fire insurance. You're not going to be joyful. You're not going to be happy. You're going to live like a defeated believer. 
So surrender it today. Lay it at the cross. Come up after while we're worshiping. Get somebody that's on the prayer team. Let them pray with you. If that's a little embarrassing for you, and I don't know why it would be, we're all family. Then make sure you find your way down here when everybody's leaving. The prayer team is instructed to stay up here until everyone is prayed for. So before Rich sings, would you just lower your head? I want to pray for you. I just, before I pray, if, if the book of Leviticus is really stirring your heart to want to know him in a deeper, personal way, and there's no one looking around, would you just raise your hand and then put it right back down? Yeah, me too. I want to know him. I want to know him. Someone just asked Pastor Joe, what is your greatest desire? And Joe responded that I would know him. That's his greatest desire. Lord, you've seen those hands that went up. And for the ones that just didn't react too quickly, whatever, Lord. But they do. They want to know you in a deeper, personal way. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come upon them and fill them. Let, let, let the Holy Spirit overflow that cup. If they're being challenged by the word and there's something in their lifestyle... Something they're doing wrong. They don't know if they have the courage. They don't even, or they don't know how to. Lord, you showed me. You showed so many of us how to just leave it at the cross. And it is an act of faith. Holy Spirit, you're not a respecter of persons. Would you show them as well? Show them. Leave that sin right where it was nailed. Leave it at the cross. Go home in victory. In Jesus' name, let's worship.